All right. Good morning, church. Good morning, church. Morning. Those of you who are joining us online, I cannot tell you how excited I am to have mass people, well, what I consider to be mass people in the building. It is incredible to actually see humans. Uh, so never thought I would say that from the pulpit, but there you go. It's great to see human beings. Uh, something that we're uh, moving in this direction. Yesterday, all of Boulder County moved to Code Yellow. I uh, also didn't think we'd be announcing codes, uh, but nevertheless, we're at code yellow. Uh, and so what we're going to allow you to do uh, moving forward is you can remove your mask during the message. Uh, if at any time you need to get up to use the restroom, move around the cabin, uh, go say hi to someone, go outside, whatever, just throw your mask back on. But if you're seated here in the room, we, we want you to feel comfortable um, with that. So we're super excited uh, for this morning. We are going to be taking communion here in this room. If you're watching us live at home, please go get uh, some juice, uh, a cinnamon roll, some bread, a cracker, something to take communion with. I'm kidding about the cinnamon roll, but maybe not. Nevertheless, go do a cinnamon roll, uh, especially if it's Cinnabon. Uh, anybody of you guys like Cinnabon? Yeah, there's a few of you unhealthy individuals. Good. Uh, so we're going to be jumping into communion. In fact, all the whole morning is going to be about communion. You saw that in the, the worship songs. You're going to hear in the message. And then we're going to do things a little bit different as we move forward. So if you're at home and, and you're watching, please run and grab those elements. Uh, today, so the Lord's Supper, it's also called communion. Uh, sometimes we can just think that everyone knows what that means. We all know what happens during communion. Uh, we're all on the same page. And if you've been around the church for any great length of time, you know that's not necessarily true. That sometimes we actually have to unpack what these things mean, what, what they accomplish, what they don't accomplish, what happens, what doesn't happen, all of that kind of stuff. And what we're going to do is we're going to unpack a little bit of scripture to help you know a little bit more when you take communion today. You're going to have a little bit of a different perspective. And even if it's not a different perspective, maybe you already knew that, then it will reinforce that uh, to you as you take the communion. And here's our premise. Here's what we're going to unpack. If you're into taking notes in your Bible or in your phone, uh, then, then you can jot this down. As we remember, the Bible says, as often as you do this, you what? You remember. Okay, so as we remember, God reminds us. I want you to write that down if you're at home and you're taking notes. As we remember, God reminds us. And, and I'm going to unpack exactly how this works. If you have your Bibles, I would love for you to turn with me uh, to Luke chapter 15. Uh, Luke chapter 15, we're going to be starting in verse 11. Uh, if you're at home, you can run and grab your Bible. It's also going to be on the screen. Most of our passages will always be on the screen, but there is something very special, A, but also uh, a way to remember is to actually have the Word of God in your hands. So you're flipping pages, underlining, and, and allowing this to come, kind of become part of who you are. So let's begin. We're going to be looking at verses 11 through 24 and Jesus is about to tell a parable. If you're new to the Bible or, or new to the church, a parable is essentially a story so that you can understand what he's trying to enforce. And here's what it says. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I, I, want, my, I want my share of your estate now before you die. Hopefully none of you older folks have received such a request. 
uh, it's a little bit morbid. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all of his money in wild living. Now, uh, historians and, and biblical scholars will really unpack that. What is, what is that kind of wild living? It includes uh, a lot of alcohol and a lot of prostitutes. Okay, that, that is, and there, there's other things there. It's, it's spending your money and wisely, et cetera, but it's very heavily debauchery living. So he lives out wild. Verse 14, about the time that his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The younger man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying with hunger. I'll go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son, so please just take me on as your servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, he embraced him, and he kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven, uh, in other words, God, and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son, so please stop it. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robes in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the calf uh, that we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. Maybe your version says banquet. For the son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now he was found. And this is probably one of the greatest parts of, of the passage. So the party began. Any of you guys like parties? Any of you? You can participate. I'm not talking about like rager parties, just like you get together with friends. Uh, I, I read today uh, that the CDC says don't get together for the Super Bowl. If you do, don't uh, celebrate out loud, like snap your fingers and clap and get noisemakers. Have fun with that. Um, all right, back on track here. Th this parable is probably not the obvious place to start when we're going to start discussing communion or, or the Lord's Supper. Uh, in fact, it doesn't even mention anything about communion or the Lord's Supper. But it is about a banquet. It is about a party. And this is what we really want to understand here. In the Mediterranean world, a banquet was a multimedia event. A banquet was a big, big deal in the Mediterranean world. No matter where you went, this was a time of celebration. Think about polished silver and fine linens and tablecloths and smoked salmon and, and really rich cheese and chocolate and, and just like pulling out all of the stops. And it always included the best of the wine. But it doesn't mention the Lord's Supper here. It doesn't mention communion. And yet when we read the full context of the book of Acts and the book of Luke, when we combine those two books together, we discover that it does evoke the Lord's Supper in two very intentional ways that we're going to focus on this morning. First is this. Scholars agree 
across the board that whenever Luke describes a meal, he's bringing a, a consciousness to the many faceted understandings of meals in Judaism and early Christianity. That there's a reason for it. It's not just circumstantial. It's not just, well, everyone's got to eat. There's a reason for it according to Luke specifically. Here's how. The, the Jewish people of Luke's day believed any time they had a meal, it was a spiritual event. Amen? <laughs> I love to eat. But for them, it was a religious occasion. It was a religious event every time they shared a meal. Eating breakfast was like going to church. To invite another person to your home to have any kind of food, any kind of meal, was to say to them, I accept you, and I want you to be a part of this earthly life, and a way that I'm going to show you that is I'm going to give you my food. Now, maybe it was just cultural, and maybe it was because food was scarce back then. So to offer someone your food was like a big, big deal. Today, we have more food, at least in, in modern America, we have more food than we know what to do with. But for them, it was a big deal to share their food. And that is the point of Jesus eating and drinking with sinners. This is going to come alive. So as we dig down deep, I, I want you to broaden your horizon of communion. Broaden your horizon uh, in your thinking of the Lord's Supper. The Jewish people believed that when Jesus came back again, when, when the Messiah came, that there was going to be an enormous banquet. You can read about this in Isaiah chapter 25. You can read about that on your own. To many early Christians, the Lord's Supper was a preview. It, it was, if you would, an appetizer. How many of you love appetizers? Any of you? Like some of you, uh, for me, I could just live off appetizers, right? Uh, if you go to a really nice restaurant, uh, you go, well, I, I kind of want one of those and one of those and one of those and one of those. And you're like, I'm not even going to be hungry for my meal. For me, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with the appetizer. And for me, in a, in a spiritual sense, I'm okay with the appetizer of what we're going to do this morning. Because that does something for me. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm excited for the main meal. I'm excited for heaven to come. But it's a glimpse. It's an appetizer of what's coming. Second, the reference is to bread. After giving the manna in the wilderness, bread became a symbol of God's constant presence. Anytime bread was talked about, it was a reminder that God is present. He's right here with me, especially for the Jewish people. When they ate the bread, they were, they were reminded of God's constant presence, not just for the people group, but for me, my life, my problems, my struggles, my situation. My God is right here. I'm not alone. And Luke uses the symbol of bread in a way of speaking of the divine presence known to the disciples through the presence of the resurrected Jesus during the Lord's Supper. When, when Jesus came back to life after three days. He went and had a meal. He went and broke bread with those who he loved. And a, and a reason for the banquet, a, a reason for even the Lord's Supper, is to celebrate. That's why I love the New Living Translation. So the party began. 
I can only imagine what that must have looked like. I can only imagine what parties in heaven look like. But I'm excited to find out. Back then, as is still the case now, whenever there's a reason to celebrate, almost always food's involved. In fact, Americans, we figure out reasons to celebrate so that we can eat. We'll celebrate anything at any time so that we can eat a lot and enjoy really, really good food. When you get a promotion, when you graduate high school, when someone you barely know graduates high school and they invite you to the graduation party, you're like, well, I know there's going to be food. Uh, if, if you find out you're pregnant or you have a baby or you hit the golden anniversary or you buy a new house or you move, it, you, sh you run in and go, everybody, let's go to dinner. Or let's have people over. Let's, well, we used to prior to COVID. Let's have people over. Let's, let's do this. Let's have a lot of food. Let's celebrate. Let's have fun together. And sometimes we need physically to be prompted that this is actually happening. That this isn't a dream. That the promises that are found in the cup and the wafer actually transform how I view my life today. You ever been around someone that, that is experiencing something so cool and they, they, they say the phrase, pinch me so I know I'm not dreaming? That, that you've been in such happiness, such joy, or you see something so magnificent that you're like, man, am I really experiencing this? Am I really seeing this? This is amazing. And that's what communion does. That's what the Lord's Supper does, is as we remember God reminds us and food can be that remember now look who is there you can you may, you can almost hear people whispering when when jesus sits down with sinners when he sits down to share a meal with the other you can almost hear the peripheral side they can all hear you. <laughs> uh, you can almost hear the people whispering. Do you know who's there? Who's upstairs? This is super tacky, sorry. We can all hear you. God bless our tech team. We love our tech team. Can we give them a round of applause? But we can hear you. Okay, so when Jesus gets together... You can almost hear people whispering. Do you realize who's there? Do you, do you see the people he's hanging out with? Do you see the people he's sharing the meal with? There's the poor and the maimed and the lame and the sick and the selfish and the sexual and the blind. Man, that's a list. Should you be sitting there with those folks? That might be surprising at first, but it shouldn't be. It, it shouldn't be surprising in any way because Jewish tradition emphasizes God's love for the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. Jewish law contains important provisions to ensure that those who are on the edges of society are fed and clothed and housed. 
Alex just told you about the incredible work you all did when you did the the before me and we collected literally thousands of masks to send down to Juarez, hundreds and hundreds of hand sanitizers, thousands and thousands of dollars to purchase food. Well, this last week, I had the opportunity to take all that you did for the homeless here in Boulder. And I was able to go to the Boulder Housing Division where they distribute not only where the homeless can stay for the night, but also supplies. And I took hundreds of masks. I took hundreds of winter gloves, brand new winter gloves. Uh, I brought in hundreds of brand new pairs of socks to which they were cheered. And hundreds of hand sanitizers and t-shirts. And the workers and, and the, the folks that are staying there just stood in awe as I brought in box after box after box after box of supplies that you gave to those on the outside. Today, you changed someone's life experience because you cared for those on the outside. Now, if you look at Luke chapter 14, Jesus is getting ready for the party. And, and he's talking about who needs to be invited. And he's talking to a servant, and the servant says, Master, we've invited everyone who you told us to invite. We did exactly who you said, but there's a problem. We still have more room. What, what should we do? And, and this is what Jesus says in the passage in Luke chapter 14. The master said to the servant, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges, uh, circle the word hedges in your Bible or highlight it or, or just remember it. Go into the county lanes and all behind the hedges and, I, and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. Let's get this right because I want you to see why is Jesus saying, go out into the country, especially behind the hedges. Why is that important? You see, the more that we understand culture, the more that we understand what was going on in the Bible, the more the words of Jesus specifically, but really all of Scripture, it just comes alive. Here's how. The highways and the hedges were not inside the city. They were outside the city. And not just out the city, just outside the city, they were pretty far outside the city. And in the Bible, the city is often a symbol of Judaism. It's a symbol of security and community, which means the highway and the hedges are outside of that community. They're not part of the relationship. They're not only outside, but they're pretty far away. Because on the outside, there are the hedges and the highway. And where you are in the hedges and the highway outside the city, things can get pretty rough because you don't have the protection of community. Remember what happened to, quote, a certain man who went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Luke chapter 10, verse 30 talks about this man. He fell among the robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. That's where the hedges are. That's where the highways are. That's the outsider. That world is very dangerous, very risky, and not very enjoyable. 
And who is out there among the highway and the hedges? Who, who is outside the community? Mostly then, Gentiles. Gentiles were not in the city. Gentiles were not part of the community. They were off in a very dangerous place. Gentiles are described sometimes as being on the highways, uh, often because they were referred to as being restless and unsettled. They are described as among the hedges. Of course, the invitation to the Gentiles to, to come to the banquet, to, to actually come to the party, is consistent with Jewish belief. The great prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 25, 8, for instance, he looked for the day when the Gentiles would come to God and they would eat a great banquet on that very, very last day. That's what they were excited for. And here's what he says. At that banquet, at that meal, at that party, at that celebration, the Lord God will wipe away tears from how many faces? Friends, I know some of you have had, just recently you've, you've had tears on your faces. And I just want to say to you in the room, and I want to say to those of you who are online, there will come a day when God is going to wipe away your tears. And it will be gentle. And it will be in love. And all things will be made right. I wish that day was right now. But the Bible is so clear that on that day, tears are wiped away. And yet the invitation to the Gentiles is somewhat surprising, and it shouldn't be. Why? Well, I'm a Gentile. Most of you are the Gentile. And I know in my heart of hearts, when everything is stripped away, when all the lights are off and there's no more music and there's no more people and, and I'm just left staring in the mirror, I know in my heart of hearts, and I'd be willing to bet I'm not alone, that I'm not worthy to go sit at that table. Much less consume the food. I have no place there, and neither do you. So let me ask, should you have a special place at God's table? Is that your right? Have you been good enough? Have you loved enough? Have you prayed enough? Have you gone to enough Bible studies? Have you, have you attended enough mission trips or potlucks to deserve a seat at the table? Have you ever known someone in your world you can't stand? You don't have to raise your hand, especially if they're next to you. You ever made a decision not because you thought it was the right decision, but because you thought it's going to advance me? Have you ever been mad at someone and, and talked about it with everyone else except for that person? You ever been jealous of the accomplishments of a friend? 
you ever coveted another person's uh, intellectual ability or hair or job or car? You ever lusted after another person? You ever lost your patience? Have you ever given your half best to something that you know deserved your absolute best? You gave 75%, not 100%, but you were paid for 100%. I want you to hear this loud and clear. And it's not a, it's not a vindictive statement. It's just truth to get you to wrap around your mind around the majesty of Jesus. Unless you are an angel in human form, you have done something to keep you away from God's table. Are we all on the same page? We don't like to talk about that very often. We certainly don't want to talk about our sin. We certainly don't want to talk about why we did something wrong. And we, We're really good at justifying. It's the word but. Yet here it is. Jesus, in his story, urges or, or compels his servant to go and urge and compel people to come to the table, to come to the party. To compel means to offer the strongest and the most persuasive, the most creative, the most eloquent words of an invitation, but not one that offers the ability to coerce someone to come. It almost sounds too good to be true. That this God, this God of pure, unbounded love is a God who accepts you and I and invites us to this table. And sometimes, like this morning, we need just a little touch, a little lift, a little reminder as we remember that God is near. And if you're in a place right now where you are struggling or someone who you love dearly is struggling and you're wondering, where is God in this? That's what communion does. That's the beauty is, is as we remember, God reminds us that he's near. Story time. Actually, not my story, but my college daughter Naomi's story. When Naomi was probably three or four years old, uh, I took her to swimming lessons at Kimball Park on the corner of Telephone Road in, in Kimball in Southern California. And as we were getting ready to go, Naomi looks at me and says, I'm not going. I'll drown, and you will be sorry. So there's my three-year-old. So now I have to decide, am I going to entertain this debate with my three-year-old, or am I going to be the more mature one and, and move past it? So I debate it. And she finally gets to the pool, and, and she gets in the water, and she begins to blow bubbles and do the leg kicks and goes underwater, and lo and behold, she survives. It's a miracle. And the day comes when 
a, a few lessons later, it's the day when Naomi is going to jump into the deep end. Five feet deep. And her instructor, I, I remember her instructor, this young gal, says, Naomi, remember, I'm going to be right here. You don't have to worry. I'm going to be right here for you. And I'll be beside you the whole way. Don't worry. So Naomi jumps in the water, and she begins this activity of each arm and leg moving in a different direction and not in rhythm with each other. So let's say this arm's going in circles and this arm's going this way and one leg's... She's out of control. And she turns her head to the wall and she begins doing whatever she's doing with all those limbs and is somewhat moving to the wall. And I catch eyes with her and she starts going under. And she's drowning, not really, but she's going under the water. And her instructor is right there and very gently takes one of her hands and just puts it underneath her stomach. And now all of a sudden, Naomi's like this motorboat, all the way to the side. She didn't drown. And the instructor rested that hand with her. The next morning, Naomi gives up. These are, the, these are the ups and downs of parenting, all the way from accusing me essentially of child abuse, that you're, I'm going to die and you're going to be sorry, to blowing bubbles and kicking, to jumping in the deep end, almost drowning, now getting to the side, and now the next morning wakes up and goes, what time does the pool open? Up and down, up and down, up and down. Yet a consistent, fairly consistent dad, a very consistent swim instructor. Well, what does this have to do with communion? It has everything to do with communion, actually. You see, the Lord's Supper is like that. It's a lift. It's a gentle rescue. It's a, it's a God reminding us as we remember, I got you. I'm going to get you to the side. I'm going to help you parent. I'm going to help you in your marriage. I'm going to help you in your job search. I, I got you. As we remember with the cup and the wafer, God reminds us. It's this beautiful, beautiful thing. There was a pastor who once reported that after open heart surgery, he was given a muscle paralyzer. He recalls it this way, I couldn't move, I couldn't speak, I couldn't do anything, but people came to my bedside and they spoke to me. And I heard most of it. But then I heard the nurse saying, oh, he can't hear a thing. He's in a deep, deep sleep. But then I heard a doctor friend of mine come and sit right beside me. And he got close to my ear and whispered, I'm here. I just want you to know I'm right here. The Lord's Supper is like that. 
when we take communion, this is not a religious practice that we just do over and over and over because that's what we've always done. This is God as we remember what Jesus did for us. God reminds us what that all means. And it's this gentle whisper. I just want you to know I'm right here. He reminds us that we're forgiven. He reminds us that he's going to help us get to the side of the pool. In our remembrance, he reminds us of our freedom in Jesus Christ. And you are invited to the party. Here's a picture. This is a, an oil painting uh, painted on a canvas cloth from a, a, a Vietnamese individual that my father purchased when he was in the Vietnam War in Vietnam. I love it because it's different. I'm going to turn it so everyone can see. I love it because it's different than most that I've seen. I love it because there is um, there's pain in faces and there's joy in faces. I love it because there's a lot of food. <laughs> and I love it because Jesus has this peace on his face. When I look at this picture, I really think that I belong to be sitting here. That I have no place to be at that table. I shouldn't be there. But I, I believe with all of my heart as we get ready to worship, I believe with all of my heart that if I were to walk into that room, that my God, my Lord, my Savior would say, make room. Move over, John. Move over, Peter. Scoot. Let the bald guy in. Like, apparently no one was bald in Bible times. I love this. And I never look at communion as just same old, same old. And as we get ready to take communion, and Alex is going to lead us in a little bit of this, as we get ready to take communion, yes, remember, yes, remember what Jesus did for you, but I beg you, listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit to remind you. And you just might hear him say, I just wanted you to know I'm right here. Let's pray. God, we love you. Thanks for communion. Thanks for hope. Thanks for peace. Thanks for the gift to worship. As we get ready to take communion, I pray that you would speak to your people. We're going to take communion a little bit differently uh, this morning as a church than we're used to. So uh, some of you may have done this 
this way before, but uh, Brian and Mimi are actually going to pass out communion to you, and we've got these fancy little uh, COVID special communion containers. They're very fancy. Um, before we get into the serious stuff, I do want to point out that you should open the cracker first. It's on the bottom, <laughs> then the juice on the top. <laughs> Otherwise, you'll spill on yourself. So uh, with that out of the way, um, they're going to pass it out, and we're going to actually take this together as an entire church body. If you're at home um, and you don't have anything like this lying around, just go grab something. You know, it could be anything, soda, hot dogs, or whatever. This is about remembering Jesus. So uh, you can always pause and grab something, come back. But communion, as, as Brian was discussing, is, it's such a beautiful image. This is, the, this is one of the very few commands that Jesus commanded to be done by all of his followers throughout all time and all places, period. This is one of the practices that unites Christians together across the globe in all different time periods. And so as we join that this morning, I want to make sure that we as a church are, are continuing to lean in to become more and more people of prayer. And I wanna guide us in some very specific prayers uh, for people we may know, people we may not know, but to, to bring them before our Lord and, and to intercede on their behalf. So as they're passing that out, I want you to join me. First and foremost, we all know people that are hurting and that are broken. You may be hurting or broken in this room, but I want us to be able to pray for others that are hurting and that are broken, that are having a very difficult time right now. So you may have had a name or two jump to the forefront of your mind, and that's the person I want you to pray for. Uh, so spend the next 15 to 20 seconds praying for that, that person that Jesus would bring relief and intervention into their life. I'd like us to pray for someone in our life that we may know that, that may be lost or, or far from Jesus, someone who we know desperately needs the hope, the grace, the peace, the salvation that he offers. So if you can think of someone that, that may not know Jesus, if a name popped your mind, pray for that person. Lastly, uh, I want to invite us all to pray for Rock Creek Church specifically. This is our church family. This is our, our participation with the body of Christ globally. We participate with each other. And so I want to invite us to pray for, for God to do continually miraculous things, amazing things through this community to draw us closer to each other, closer to him, and that we would be more and more a holy expression of the church that God intended us to be.
right, I want to invite you to open up your uh, cracker. And we're going to take this together. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul writes about communion. He says, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Let's drink. He says, for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So as we enter into this final session of worship, know that, that in this practice that we get to do regularly as, as believers, we are announcing, we are proclaiming to the world, to each other, that Jesus died for us once and for all. That sacrifice holds forever and that we now have a seat at his table. Let's reflect on that as we finish in worship.